Hello and welcome to a conversation with some of Littler's quote unquote other attorneys. We're used to being asked, what are you? We're biracial persons that don't fall into one traditional category or box, so to speak. So we're usually relegated to land in the other box when describing ourselves. As part of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, we're getting together to share what being an Asian other has meant to us. I'm Danielle Herring, a shareholder in Littler's Houston office. I'm joined by Emily Hammerstein, a shareholder in the Pittsburgh office of Littler, along with Alan Sims, an associate in Littler's downtown Los Angeles office. Welcome, Emily and Alan. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. I know that I've often been asked the question, what are you? And it prompts me to explain my biracial heritage. My mother is an immigrant from South Korea and my father's white. People just generally don't get it right, asking me, are you Hawaiian? Are you Hispanic? Current statistics show that about 7% of adults in the United States are biracial, so not a big number. And it certainly wasn't mainstream for me growing up to see others who looked like me. Alan, what can you tell us about your background? So my mom is Mexican and my dad is Thai, and both emigrated to the U.S. at a young age. For me growing up, I was fortunate enough to have both my parents' families live in L.A., which I think played a huge role in my upbringing. For example, my maternal grandmother took care of me as a toddler while my parents worked, and she only spoke Spanish. So my grandmother is a huge reason why I'm able to speak Spanish, and it's actually my first language. My mom also has a large family, and we would spend a lot of weekends with my mom's side uh, as a kid. And on my dad's side, my paternal grandparents lived close by and would often take care of me and my sisters after school. So we learned a lot of our Thai culture through my dad's parents. But overall, I was raised to identify with both cultures. And I think my family played a huge role in really helping me understand my racial heritage early on. What about you, Emily? My mom was Chinese. She was born in mainland China but grew up in Taiwan and came to the U.S. in her early 20s. Um, My dad is Jewish. Both of his parents actually grew up in Nazi Germany and eventually made their way to the U.S. And my parents met and got married in New York City. Um, I have one older brother, and growing up, we spent nine years of our childhood in the suburbs outside of St. Louis before my family moved here to Pittsburgh. So we didn't grow up in the most diverse places. When we lived in Missouri, we were the only kids in our school, I think, who were Jewish, definitely the only Chinese Jews. And, you know, growing up in the 80s and the 90s, you just didn't really see a lot of biracial kids. And certainly growing up, like I never saw any representation of the biracial experience in movies or TV or mainstream media, even books. So I definitely got a lot of the, what are you question growing up and, you know, in college and after college or questions like, what do you identify more with? And, you know, I identify with both. I mean, I really feel that I am both, but a lot of my experience, you know, growing up in places that weren't super diverse and not really looking you know, I mean, looking like both of my parents in some ways, but not looking like one or the other, you know, just a lot of my identity has been shaped by not belonging or feeling like I did not belong, you know, in one group or the other, but at the same time was part of both. 
I can certainly relate to that, Emily, you know, in particular, when I find myself in Asian circles, I tend to want to very, very quickly prove why I'm there. You know, I, I, I say my name, part of my introducing myself and my name is, hi, I'm Danielle Herring and I, I, I'm half Korean, right? And I say something like that. And I, I mean, it's, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, even saying it now that I'm half Korean. Like it's, it's almost like I'm not Asian enough because I'm just half. And I think it stems back from my entire life being told, you know, pick a side, check a box, make sure it's only one box. You know, in the last couple of months, I, I found myself at the DMV, like probably a lot of us have with an expired license. And there's the form again. And it said, check one box for your race, only one box. I disregarded it, checked the two boxes, which I've always done. And then I get up to the counter and, and the representative tell, he gets the white out out and doesn't even talk to me about it and says, ma'am, one box, one box. And I said, well, that's really difficult for me because I am two races. And he says, well, what's your dad? And I said, well, my dad's white. He said, well, that's what we're going to put down. Totally disregarding the quote unquote half Asian in me. Right. And so I can certainly relate to, to feeling like you need to pick a side or feeling like you're, you don't look the part enough, depending on what you're talking about or where you are, who you're with. Alan, how has your physical appearance shape the way that people perceive your race? Yeah, you know, that's that's a good question. Uh, and it's a tough one because I feel like regardless of the space that I'm in, I feel this need to prove that I belong. When I'm surrounded by other Latinos, because I look Asian, I do feel the need to say that I'm Mexican or that I speak Spanish, um, because if not, I feel like I won't necessarily be accepted in that space. However, when I'm with other Asians, even though I look Asian, I don't necessarily feel like I belong because I don't speak Thai and I don't share a lot of the same experiences because I grew up in a primarily Latino community. And I think I feel this way, if I'm being honest, because there have been times where my cultural identity has been questioned. And it doesn't only happen when I'm in a new space. It's happened with people that I've known for years because I'll get the occasional, I knew you spoke Spanish, but I know you spoke it that well. Uh, and so I think because of that, I now feel this need to prove up the fact that I am Latino and that I am Asian. Uh, Alan, I can totally relate to that. And I think when you're biracial, so much of how people react to you and sometimes your experience is driven by how you look. And I mean, I think I look biracial. I think I look half Chinese, but you know, most people don't know what that looks like. And so I have had so many experiences where I told somebody what my background was and they literally, you know, reacted in shock and disbelief. I mean, and, and in the Jewish religion, there's no half. You either are Jewish or you're not. And it's driven by whether or not your mom was Jewish. And my mom actually did convert to Judaism when she married my dad. But, you know, some people wouldn't consider that conversion to be valid. But I mean, you know, going back to the, you know, shock and disbelief and having to prove what you are. I mean, I remember uh, I taught English in China after I graduated from college and my mom came to visit me and we were in a cab and the cab driver asked her, who is this foreigner with you? And in Mandarin, the word for foreigner, Waikoran, literally means outsider. So he asked her, who's this outsider with you? And she said, she's my daughter. And the cab driver was silent for a minute. And then he said, can I ask you a question? Is she really your daughter? Like, did she actually come out of your body? 
And my mom said, yes, she's my daughter. And he just would not, he, he would not believe her. And he kept pushing back. And it's like something that is so basic when something's so basic and so fundamental to you is questioned. It is demeaning, even if people don't intend it to be, or they, they are just curious. They don't, they don't mean any ill. No, I think that's right, Emily. And I think it was for me, a source of a lot of frustration and frankly, embarrassment growing up as people sort of looked at my family and tried to figure out how we were connected, but most of the time presuming we weren't um, just because my parents are of different races. How do you all think things will be different for this next generation? You know, I mentioned that 7% of the U S population is biracial. Now I think, you know, this next generation, that percentage will be astronomically higher how do you think things will be different for them? Well, I hope that people will recognize race to be a more nuanced kind of non-binary part of your identity. I mean, I feel like I do see a lot of biracial, you know, mixed race families these days. I don't know if I'm just really sensitized to it and I get really excited anytime I see a mixed race family because I do, you know, but I, I think when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties, people didn't really talk about racial identity. It was sort of like, I think the idea was that you were just colorblind and that was how you were accepting as you didn't talk about it. But I think that it really is important to be able to speak about the experience and what it means and have a richer kind of more nuanced experience, even if that is uncomfortable at times. Do you all typically and customarily say, Emily, for example, I'm half Chinese. I'm, or do you even say I'm half Jewish? Like how do you typically describe yourself? So the way that I would identify as I'm Chinese and Jewish, but I do tell people I'm half Chinese and Jewish because, you know, people are surprised or they're questioning or, you know, or I'll say my mom's Chinese and my dad is Jewish. But, you know, I think, I mean, really saying that you're half is sort of demeaning. I mean, it's a way to explain your identity to somebody that's easily understandable, but it also implies that you are less than, uh, that you are not a whole person, you know, and like I said, growing up, I mean, in the Jewish faith, you're, you're either Jewish and you're not. And I've actually had people point blank, tell me I'm not Jewish because I'm Chinese. So it's not my preferred terminology, but like I said, sometimes that is the easiest way to explain my identity to somebody without having to, you know, go into a whole lot of explanatory detail. Yeah, I agree, Emily. Um, And I think you're right. I think there's, there's no better way to explain it other than I am half. I don't identify as half because like you said, I'm a full person and I feel like I'm fully Thai and I'm fully Mexican. But yeah, I think when you're explaining your, your racial identity to others, I think it's, it, it kind of, there is no other way to explain it. And I feel like that's, that is the only way, you know, as, uh, as demeaning as it, as it may feel. Cause I agree. I mean, I think it is, it does carry a negative connotation and kind of wish there was a, a different way to explain that. Yeah. You're, you're basically going to draw the least number of follow-up questions if you explain it that way. See, so, you know, exactly. we just do it for others. 
I can certainly share in that experience. We're getting together to talk about our experiences as Asians in light of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month and it being attorneys in particular. How has being biracial shaped the way that you practice law, Emily? Growing up in a mixed race house, you know, also a household where, you know, at, at some point it was also interfaith. I had to, from a very young age, be able to recognize commonality among people who were seemingly different on the outside. So, and to find commonality, even in situations where people had different beliefs and, you know, also my identity was sort of fluid. So I, I felt like from a young age, I could adapt to the environment around me and, and read people and learn to read people pretty well. So I've tried to bring that to my practice because I think that that has fostered a strong sense of empathy. And I, I think that, you know, even in adversarial situations like litigation, I can usually recognize some commonality and try to bring the parties together. Or, you know, we always face situations where um, we're trying to, you know, convince our client to do something that maybe they don't want to do or to hear something that they don't want to hear. And so I try to bring that sense of empathy and understanding to my interactions. Yeah, Emily, you know, I think I I agree with everything you said. Um, For me, being multiracial, I think, has allowed me to have an understanding about multiple cultures and an appreciation for them. And I think even though I'm a year and a half into my practice, uh, having this understanding has really helped me out in my interactions with clients and in speaking with witnesses. Uh, and I'm sure will continue to play a role as I develop as an attorney. From my perspective, in large part, I am at our firm Littler because I have a genuine respect and love for the people here. And part of that is because of this incredible diversity that exists. You know, we are not the only others at our firm. There are many, many more. And it's awesome to look around and to share that background and that experience with our colleagues. And unquestionably, we provide better legal services, more creative solutions for our clients, because of that diversity that exists among, in particular, our biracial attorneys. It's been a great pleasure catching up with you both. Our shared experiences are comforting, highlights how proud we are to be Asian American Pacific Islanders in this month of celebrating our heritage. I'm proud to call you my colleagues and my ohana, my family, as you would say in Hawaiian, in this space. Thank you. Thanks, Danielle. I'm so appreciative that we had the opportunity to share our experiences today. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on, Danielle.